Welcome to the Boys of Summer, episode 69. I'm Gene Gums, joined by my friends Paul Arnold and Eric Braun as we talk about our favorite sport, baseball. But before we get to baseball today, guys, the Olympics start in two days, or so we think. Actually, technically, the Olympics have already started. The women's soccer team right. uh, played last night. Matter of fact, they lost 3 nothing to Sweden. Um, U.S. overwhelming favorite, and uh, they're ranked number one in the world, but they lost. Uh, the softball tournament has already started, but the rest of the Olympics are supposed to start on Friday with the opening ceremonies. Unfortunately, COVID cases running rampant. There's already been 75 athletes that have tested positive, uh, several of them on the U.S. team. And just today, the head of the Olympic Organizing Committee said there is still a chance that they could cancel these Olympics. My question to you is this, and I know we are all trying to get back to whatever normal is now, but was there a mistake made in trying to hold these Olympics? I know we, we postponed them for a year, but in a country where only 23% of the people have been vaccinated, was it a mistake to try to do this to begin with? Well, <laughs> hindsight is always twenty twenty. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, uh, I mean, it sure doesn't look good. Um, uh, and you hate to have a giant super spreader event in a country. You know, I mean, who who would have guessed that Japan would be so far behind in vaccinations? And I don't know that it is that far behind in uh, the, the, the scope of the world. But um, regardless, you know, you would think a, a, an, an industrialized country like that, that they would be, you know, better than 23 percent. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. So, I, you know, um, I think you move forward and try to make it happen um, because, you know, at one point the world seemed to be, you know, you know, moving forward pretty quickly to get to getting back to normal. But, you know, now we've got the Delta variant and it's, um, you know, causing all kinds of havoc, even here in, in Texas and around the country where, um, you know, people have avoided getting vaccinated, uh, uh, which, you know, is very frustrating. Uh, right. So, yeah, but I think um, I think you kind of. Yeah. The problem is these events, right? You have to plan for them so far in advance to actually pull them off that, you know, at the time that they started organizing it, it probably seemed like things would be getting back to normal and that Japan would, you know, have a strong vac vaccination program. So I don't, I guess I don't fault them for planning on it. Um, and then to have the Delta variant really start to re rear its ugly head you know, just a few weeks out of the Olympics. I mean, it's it's tough to blame the uh, the Olympic Committee for that one. There are many things to blame the Olympic Committee for. I, I guess this isn't one of them. Yeah, this is a really tough case. I was reading an article that Japan's going to lose twenty billion dollars, um, probably because, because because no fans, no fans, um, all the extra security and precautions they have to put in. I also wonder who is putting on the most pressure to get this done. Is it the Japanese government with their pride, like, we got to do this? Is it the Olympic Committee saying we have too many sponsors that wanted to see it done? Is it the TV money? You know, often NBC yeah. pays a ton of money to have this done, to have a, an Olympic um and they really don't make that much money on it. It's usually for promoting their other programs and things like that, as far as NBC is concerned. So this is a really interesting thing. Another thing that sort of bothers me, and this is so nitpicky, 
Uh, just call it 2021 Tokyo Olympics. I know. <laughs> it's like the World Cup or the Euro Cup just was 2020. Come on. Right. Get real. COVID changed everything. Just call it what it is. I don't know if anybody else is bothered by that. It drives me crazy. But, you know, I mean, they just need to know that just because all your T-shirts, you don't have to reprint all the T-shirts. Right. Oh, but is you that can a T-shirt it. money? I, so I don't know. I, mean, I can't think of any other good reason. You know, here's the thing, and this is uh, this all is the, this is the cynic in me. I believe that the pressure to host these Olympics has been put on by uh, onto Japan by the International Olympic. Wait Committee. a second, there's a cynic in you. I know, shocking, <laughs> but seventy five percent of the revenue for the International Olympic Committee comes from the television rights to the Olympics. So if there is no Olympics, they lose 75% of their revenue for the next two years until the Winter Olympics happens. So to me, this is, this is you know, I hate to say it, but this seems like a dollars and cents thing to me. Am I wrong? Oh, there's definitely a dollars and cents uh, uh, big piece to this for sure. I mean, I, yeah. No doubt about it. And and yes, absolutely that's coming from the the Olympic Committee because as you say, yeah, it's it's all about TV dollars. I'm yeah, I'm sure that NBC would just as soon have them. That that's a lot of programming to fill right. on short notice. Um that's a it's to me it's just it's just a really bad situation. Um the Olympic Committee is is a problem. They've been a problem for a long time. Yeah. Um they don't serve the athletes the way they should. They're um they're, they're sounds crooked. like the NCAA to me for some reason. <laughs> yeah, the NCAA is getting some of their uh, uh, just desserts too. Uh, this is when I go, as being a healthcare worker, um, <laughs> what I've learned during this whole 16, 18 months is you can't outthink COVID. You can't uh, plan it away. You can't manage it away because you can't control people and their behaviors. It's just going to keep on spreading until it wears itself out. And Tokyo, I am also very surprised they didn't get more vaccines over there. But most of these tests are athletes coming over that have been, you know, sequestered basically from the Japanese people. So you wonder if they got it before they came over even. Um, I love the Olympics. Man, when I was a little kid, we would have our own Olympics in the backyard. You know, that would be wiffle ball um, toss. It would be, uh, you know, frisbee uh go around and how we could throw it around and and then we would play ping pong and also we'd make our own gold medals and we'd watch it at night and we loved it so nobody loves olympics more than me but this seems so weird can you imagine winning a gold medal and nobody's in the stands uh it's yeah, bizarre yeah and well how about hang the medal on your on your neck yourself yeah you yeah they're not even going to have people handing out the medals they're going to have them i guess on a table and you just go pick it up and hang it around your neck I mean, it's going to be, there's going to be some, there's no question there's going to be some surreal things, uh, you know, running a track meet and nobody's cheering it's just, it, it, yeah, or, it's be- or a basketball. I'm, I wonder if they're going to pipe in uh, crowd noise like they did in the NBA to the basketball tournament. Yeah. It's just, uh, so anyway, you know, I, I just, and, and we have baseball at the Olympics this year. So we kind of bring it back around to the boys this summer. Uh, the U S team, uh, you know, is one of the favorites for the gold medal. You know, but again, uh, you, you look at the Mexican baseball team, they now have COVID cases on there and three or four of their players may not be able to play. The entire team right now is under quarantine. There's questions as to whether they'll be able to play at all, you know, and so I think that it's not, this is probably the, the la- not the last we're going to hear of this, even in team events. 
I wouldn't think. I so. wouldn't think. All right. Well, let's, uh, on that happy note, <laughs> let the last time we did a show, it was just prior to the all-star game. And I have to say this, you know, and I love the all-star game. You guys know that, but to me, this all-star game was underwhelming and I'm going to bring up the following thing. And you hate to say guys ditch this for no reason. But when you look at the guys that actually participated in this all-star game and look at the people who didn't show up because of quote unquote injuries, you have to question what's going on here. And there is some, you know, there is some stuff in the collective bargaining agreement where they have limited reasons where they can get out. But some of the reasons people gave were a little suspect. And when the American league has a catcher coming up and they flash the stats, when Mike Zanino comes up to bat and he's hitting 197. That is, and I know he hit a home run in the game, God love him, but that is not a good look for Major League Baseball to have a guy hitting 197 in the All-Star game. Not great. No. You know, so, but now, like, for instance, uh, Jacob DeGrom said, look, I'm not coming. I've been on the injured list twice. I'm not coming. And what happens? Right after he pitches after the All-Star break, he didn't go to the game, and after the All-Star break, he got hurt. So, yeah, you know, anyway, yeah. so he made the right move, but a guy like Mookie Betts, he said he was too hurt to play except the first day after the all-star game, he's got two doubles and a home run in a game, you know, and you're like, well, you know, what's going on? You know, and, and, uh, Jose Altuve, you know, and Carlos Correa and the guys from the Houston Astros said that they were too, uh, uh, too injured to play yet. They're all playing after the all-star break. So, you know, what does MLB do about this or do they do anything? Well, it's a tough year to be uh, um, fighting over this. I mean, it's, I, first of all, it's, it's, you know, it is now a meaningless game. I mean, it's fun. It's it's interesting to watch. I love it, but it's a meaningless game, and they're going into collective bargaining. I don't know if they want to, if this is the the, the hill they want to die on when it comes to fighting the uh, the players on. Maybe it is. Maybe they uh, want to no, add that's something. A good, that's a good point, though. Yeah, it's a good point. So I had a different take than yours, Gene, about of the Ulster. I know that's what makes it interesting. <laughs> you know, we're the the hot take brothers here. We're all taking different spots, but um, I like the home run derby. I love the idea that uh, they sign the balls. Like every player who's in the home run derby, sign all the baseballs before he tried to hit them out of the ballpark. So anybody who got it out in the outfield got a signed baseball from that player. So cool. And yes, Otani didn't play that great, but it was still very interesting. And I was super impressed the way he handled himself, the way Vlad Jr. and Tatis all handled themselves really well. There was a great story about Freddie Freeman's son wanting to meet Tatis, and Tatis was great about it. And what really struck me, and I was texting my son about it, is that we've been waiting for Mike Trout to come up and be the new face of baseball. But his personality just isn't it. But these three guys, I felt, had a lot of star power. I mean, I could. it was like a new generation showing up, all super happy to be there, super happy just to kid around and have a good time. I could have done without the miking during the actual game. That seemed a little distracting to me. But I enjoyed it. I watched the game, actually, to the point my wife said, are you going to watch this all night? You know, so, um, yeah. I So my take is I like this one much better than the le- previous several years. Hmm. Well, all right. Uh, you know, I, you make a good point as far as these young kids. They have... And this is no, this is no, I'm not dissing Mike Trout. Mike Trout is a great player. And, but these young kids now, they have way more personality. 
They're much more personable, Tatis and, and Vlad. And I mean, they like, they smile when they play the game. They have a good time and they're not afraid to show it. Trout just is kind of like, kind of like the lunch pail kind of guy. He's the best lunch pail guy, but you know, he's the guy that just goes out and plays the game without a lot of flash. And, you know, you're not going to see him posing when he hits home runs and stuff like that. These other guys, you know, they're definitely more personable. There's no question about that. Um, now you mentioned Otani, you mentioned the home run derby, by the way, the greatest thing ever. And Eric, I think, and I know you and I are in the same boat about this. No Chris Berman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Somehow, somehow no Berman this year. On How the, great uh, was that? It was nice. There's only so much back, back, back you can take. Yeah. I only watched five minutes of the home run derby, to be honest with you. I mean, I, you know how much, you know how I feel about it. I watched the final. I saw the, uh, uh, you know, I saw uh, Alonzo win it in the final. That's, that's all of it that I watched. Uh, but the fact that I didn't have to listen to Chris Berman and, and I like Chris Berman, but not for that, but not for that. It's right. just, it, it's just brutal. But obviously a lot of people disappointed. Otani flames out in the first round. Um, it was, it was a good, uh, you know, he did, he did go out in the first round, but it was a good battle. It took extra they, they extras. And he, yeah, yeah extras. it was, it was Soto, right? Yeah. 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 I think it was. Yep. Yeah. Who's no schlump. Yeah, he says the home run derby has fixed his swing. <laughs> okay. I love that. Hey, you never hear you know, that. There's a phrase you never heard before. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, you know, and one thing I want to say to wrap up the All Star thing, the thing about Otani that I loved. Did you hear what he did? He got one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for participating in the home run derby. He took that money and gave it to the clubhouse attendants and uh, all no the people kidding. working behind the scenes for yep. the Angels. Yep, he that wrote, is awesome. He wrote out individual checks to all the people behind the scenes, not the guys in the front office, but the guys working in the clubhouses and in, on the field, and you know the, the the grounds crew and those kind of guys. And he gave that hundred fifty thousand dollars to them. I think that's that, so impressive. You know, it's the greatest thing ever. And this is, you know, did you see what Stephen A. Smith did this week or he last apologized. week? Well, yeah, but he's the guy that said Shohei Otani couldn't be the face of baseball because <laughs> he, he can't Jeez. speak English. And, you know, and, nice and, going. And, well, and and how about yeah, and a black man saying that, right? I mean, right. seriously, I mean, you know, you, you know, you, you worry about uh, you know people saying things against black people. Now you're going to stand there and say something. A Japanese guy can't be the face of baseball. But I'll tell you what, he keeps doing things like that. He, everybody's going to love this guy, you know, and, and I don't know whether it was his idea or whether his agent went to him and say, Hey, this would be a good look for you. But I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care what the motivation was. He did it. And, um, that's, that's awesome. That's great. And before so, we go on the next subject real quick, I want to give you a quick, quick quiz. I was at the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta and I went to a baseball game 96. with the U S Olympic team. And there, do you guys know who was the catcher for the 1996 USA Olympic baseball team? He is currently one of the major figures in baseball today. That was 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. He was a catcher. Joe no, no, no. That's Joe Torrey was no, already that, old that, by then. Yeah, he was <laughs> old by then. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so, I'm trying to think of it. I was trying to think of it. old. 25 years ago, and he's a major figure now? Yeah, he's not a player. I'll just put it that way. Well, obviously not. Not 25 years ago. He, you know, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. He'd be using a walker. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea. A.J. Hinch. Hinch, really? Yep. He was on the team with Jeff Weaver, Troy no Gloss, kidding. and Jacques Jones in the no 1986. Kidding. Yep. So there you go. Trivia for the well, day. So, there, so there. I, 
I was living in Columbus, Georgia during the 96 Olympics, working at WTVM um, in, uh, in Columbus. And we lived right down the street from the softball uh, stadium because they did the softball clear out in, in, in Columbus. Um, so we were out there every day. And the women's team, I, came, I worked at a little TV station, and the, the team came in and they were so, the U.S. team, uh, there, it was so much fun because, you know, the whole town put all of their energy into uh, the women's softball team. Um, and it was the first year that, that softball was in the Olympics. And it just, it was just an incredible experience. Was that Jenny Finch time? No, I think it was pre Jenny Finch. Yeah, it was before her, yeah. Yeah. Um, sort of good looking, just sort of. The, yeah. <laughs> A little the, bit. The, uh, the 96 Olympics, the greatest and saddest opening ceremonies in history to me. Mm. Uh, you know, you'll Ali. never forget, forget that image of Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that was, uh, you know, it was, it was great to see him there, but at the same time, it was just, it was heartbreaking, wasn't it? It was, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, uh, and, and nobody knew that was coming. I, I almost fell out of my chair, uh, yeah. when he showed up there. So, but that's, that's the one image I think from it. That's, and it's funny because, you know, they have these opening ceremonies all the time. I never remember any of them ever, you know, but that is the one that I will always remember. They're always weird. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, like really, are. really weird. Like they go the extra mile to be as weird as possible. <laughs> the, the, you know, the only thing that you might remember every now and then is, uh, uh, you know, maybe who who carried the flag for the U.S. team, um, right? You know, but that's about it. Matter of fact, the the, uh, the oldest person ever to carry the flag is going to carry the flag this year for the U.S. Uh, Sue Bird, who's forty years old, she's in her fifth Olympics. Nice. Uh, wow. University of Connecticut grad, all time uh, leading scorer there. So uh, that's kind of cool. And there's actually two flag bearers. It's her, and I can't remember the guy's name, but he's he's on the baseball team. Oh. He's on the U.S. baseball team. So we're bringing it back around one more time. Uh, Paul, since you brought up A.J. Hinch, let's bring up your beloved Detroit Tigers. <laughs> Please, what is going on in Detroit? What's in the water and or whatever it is that they're eating for pregame meals, boy, uh, they better not stop. They have... Uh, they're on fire. They've won five in a row. They are now just six games under 500. Now, let's not get carried away. They're not going to the playoffs. <laughs> they're 13 and a half games behind the White Sox, and they're nine and a half out of the wild card. So, but what are they saying in Michigan? They have to be downright ecstatic with what A.J. Hinch has been able to do with this young team. What are they saying uh, in the press in Michigan? Well, they love him because he's straightforward, no nonsense. He was so appreciative of the job. He knew in Houston, I mean, he lost that job. And he, he had a great thing going on, and he addressed it early, and then he put it aside. And I've said it in an earlier podcast, he is not afraid to switch up that roster. Boy, every week he's moving people in and out, uh, letting people go, seeing what they have. And Eric Haas is a beast right now. Um, and who would have predicted this catcher would come in and play this well this year? Um and then, you know, Miggy always gets the attention, Miggy Cabrera, but that he's sort of a second, third thought now. Jonathan Shoup has been amazing. And then you yeah. know about Kiel Badu uh, playing good. But it's the little guys, too, like different guys coming up. Um, 
So they are believing. They're not saying, hey, we're the greatest team. They just got a lot of pride. I think that's the biggest thing. When Gardenhire was here in Detroit, he was like your, you know, your your favorite uncle, grandpa type of dude. Like he knew baseball stories up the kazoo. I mean, he could tell you so many great baseball stories and you loved that about him. But you never felt like he was going to cut you the next day. And boy, Hinch is going to say, hey, you play, you play, good, you're going to stay. If you don't, you're gone. Nothing personal. Let's just get moving. And uh, it's working. And so Detroit's excited with reservation. You know, anytime you go right. through a long period of time where you're not winning a lot, you just say, yeah, this is pretty good. And I sent you guys a video. And well, the best thing all year is that my son took his um, four-year-old daughter to her first baseball game on Sunday and they sat in the bleachers and they won seven nothing and I my daughter they bought her a little pink uh, Detroit Tigers hat and she was so thrilled and happy and I go yes because I took my son to his first baseball game when he was still um, needing diapers I'll just put it that way sorry David if you're listening and I remember ch- <laughs> changing him underneath the Baltimore Orioles scoreboard so I like telling that story <laughs> nice, so nice. He, he's go. been in a lot of baseball games well, I mean, I guess the only thing, if you're the Tigers, that makes you a little bit nervous is that the pitching staff is undergoing a lot of injuries. They just news that uh, Spencer Turnbull, the guy that threw the no-hitter earlier this year, has to have Tommy John surgery. So he's probably going to miss all of next year. Uh, you know, Matthew Boyd has been hurt. Uh, uh, Michael Fulmer is hurt. I mean, right now, uh, Jose Urania is hurt. They can't keep anybody healthy right now. Uh, right now, it's Scooble and Mize who just came back from the injured list, and uh, you might be called up next week. <laughs> but is there different types of Tommy John surgery? Didn't Otani have a Tommy John surgery too? Yeah, he missed a year. But but the difference with Otani is what they did was is he missed a year. If he has been pitching, he would have missed longer. When don't forget when he came back after Tommy John, he just was the designated hitter. He didn't even play the outfield, so he didn't have to throw. Yeah. You know, um, and, and it, it, you know, there are some degrees depending on how bad it is, but this one is bad and, and he's just getting the surgery now. And the average time to come back from Tommy John surgery is somewhere between 12 and 16 months. So mm. at best he's back maybe for September of next year. Don't you think best. Tommy John wishes he copyrighted that whole surgery? Oh my goodness. Title. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You're not kidding. <laughs> if, he, if he, if he could have just gotten a cut of every one of the people yeah. that got that surge should be a beautiful thing. But anyway, so it's just, but it's great to see, um, you know, the Tigers, there's no question that they are exceeding expectations this year, right? Definitely. Uh, all right. So if they are exceeding expectations, I'm going to give you three teams and maybe there should be four, but I'm going to give you three and you tell me who has been the biggest disappointment to, the, to this date. You ready? We're going to start off with the New York Yankees, then the Atlanta Braves, or the Minnesota Twins. Who has been the biggest disappointment? Who who was the most expected from that has performed the least? And now, to me, all three of those teams, I thought, were going to be division winners if you listen to the experts. Yeah, or at least in the mix, right? Yeah. So which which one has stunk the most? I mean, I, 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 I got to pick the twins. Um, they were of all of those teams. I think they're the only ones that I picked to actually win uh, a division, the central, um, okay. you know, I really felt like they were up and coming. Uh, I was 
really wrong. Um, I think they're the only, <laughs> probably the only of of those three teams. Maybe maybe Atlanta that will do uh, that will trade some stars here when we get to the trade deadline. Um, because I the the wheels are just completely falling off. I it's uh, I don't understand it. Uh, you know the only glory they have right now is that my Royals are the most disappointing team to me yeah. uh, because they're currently behind the Twins. So uh, well, yeah, I wasn't going to bring that up. Thank you, yeah. I appreciate it. But, but yeah, I mean, but yeah, I mean the Twins have been. I mean, how is that team? You know, half a game out of last place. It just it makes no sense to me. It's crazy. And how they haven't fired the manager, right? No, 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 Rocco. Still, and I love Rocco, so I hope he doesn't get fired. But you, you do. It, it is a head scratcher that at this point, after what they did last year, that uh, they are 18 games out of first place. Yeah, 18. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's it's yeah, but yeah, the Twins are definitely my vote going away. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the Yankees just because they're the darn Yankees, man. They they were so promoted, so hyped that this was going to be a great year from them. Um, Aaron Boone's going to lead them to glory. Um, they're going to just be so much better. And and look at here. Red Sox are still, Gene, still in first place. you got to believe. And the Rays have snuck in there at second place. And then even the Blue Jays are in third. And then you come the Rays. Right. Now it's close. Don't get me wrong. But still, uh, I just think if you're starting Lamar out in outfield, you're in trouble for the Yankees. <laughs> they, they're, they're outfield the other night for the Yankees in the uh, last game of the series against the Red Sox. And this was made it so frustrating. The Red Sox lost two out of three last weekend in Yankee Stadium. The home run, the uh, outfield they had in the game three of that series, the combined number of career home runs was 12. <laughs> 12. I mean, you know, and the Red Sox... <laughs> Couldn't beat that team. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know if I agree. You know what? You know who I'm going to say? And we're all going to have different ones. I think the Atlanta Braves have been the most disappointing. Um, you know, with the, the star power that this team has now, you know, you got to, I guess the caveat now is that Ronald Acuna Jr. is hurt, but they were stinking before Acuna got hurt. Um, but that's a team that's under 500. The only reason they're even still in it is because the rest of that division stinks. Um, so... I, I think that they have been a, a huge disappointment. Uh, so, I mean, I think so. I mean, I guess you can't go wrong with any of these. I mean, but there's no question that the twins have the worst record. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, and you look at the Braves, it's what's kind of amazing is they're two games under 500, but they have a positive run differential. They've scored more runs than their <laughs> opponents and they're still two games under 500. How does Ouch. that happen? Yeah. That's, yeah, and I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, and on the other side of it, you know, you look at a team like uh, the Cleveland Indians. They're over 500, and they're, they have a negative run differential. You know, again, it's one of those things that, there's, that doesn't happen often. Same thing with the Seattle Mariners. That's another team, by the way, along with the Tigers. I would have to say the Seattle Mariners are probably one of the biggest surprises, along with the Giants and, and yeah. what the Tigers are doing. All right. How uh, about a team that I didn't give any credit at all? Tony La okay. Russa and the White Sox. We were making fun of that whole deal, like how old yeah. he was and yeah. was mm-hmm. he still with it. And um, he had early clubhouse troubles. And doggone yeah. it, they're, you know, they're really good. 58 and 37. I mean, they're yeah. taking it away in the Central. Yeah, it's them and the uh, the Houston Astros for the two best records in the American League. And what, yeah. Chicago's won 8 out of 10. I mean, they've made a joke out of that division. They uh, really have. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, nobody thought that Cleveland was going to contend. 
but everybody thought Minnesota would contend. But you know, the thing is, 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 uh, that's the one thing. That's one of the reasons I think Eric, I don't pick Minnesota because even if Minnesota was playing a little bit better, the white Sox have been so good. I'm not sure it would have mattered. You know, it's, it's kind of like you look in the National League West and you look at the fact that the Padres are, what, 14 games over 500 and they're, they're five back. Right, but, I mean, Minnesota is currently 14 back of the wild card. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, point taken. You're right. Point taken. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So, well, anyway, uh, all three of them have stunk. Let's just put it that way. Yes. Uh, so, the trade deadline is coming up. And Eric, this one's for you. Mm, okay. The, the uh, in major on the Major League Baseball website today, there was a story that said that the Kansas City Royals are actually contemplating trading Whit Merrifield. Yeah, uh, yeah. I what if, if if you let's let's put your GM hat on for a minute. Let's mm-hmm. say that you are the GM of the Kansas City Royals. Right. What would it take to get you to trade him? Oof. Well, man, you know, when I so, so the, of course, part of the problem with the Whit Merrifield deal is that it's as much as it is uh, his play and the quality of it and the consistency, it's also you know, it's a very emotional t- attachment to Kansas city. You know, the guy came up, you know, I mean, he'd almost run out of time in the minor leagues, you know, who knows how close he was to not playing. And he comes up to the big leagues and he's been, you know, two hit wit, you know, forever. So it's really, really hard for me to, to be rational about this. Right. But, but when I think of trading away, you know, somebody of his caliber, um, he's not going to get the, the headlines, but you know, it needs to be a trade on at least approaching the level of the Zach Grinky trade that set us up for, you know, the two world series runs. Okay. Um, it's gotta be a lot of talent that, you know, of real ready to go talent. That's going to push us over the, um, you know, over the hump for, uh, for a couple of years. Right. Um, now do I think we're going to get that kind of talent for, um, an everyday player who isn't a Cy Young award winner for the team? Probably not. But, um, but, but that's how I feel. So let's, uh, if somebody came to you as the GM of the Kansas city Royals and said, we will offer you the number two prospect in our organization and another player for Whit Merrifield. Do you do it? I would do it, do it, do it. (laughs) I'm not doing it. Uh, it, I mean, I, I, I suppose it depends on the prospect, but, uh, man, I don't know. I, first of all, I just don't put a lot of stock in draft picks, especially I, I don't, our draft this year was insane. Um, right. um, but yeah, I just, it, to me, I would want two players who are going to be ready to go, you know, next year. So you don't want guys that are two, three, four years down the road. You want somebody I don't want that projects. Can... I think the Royals are, um, are pretty close. Now maybe one pitcher, one starting pitcher. Um, that's, that's, uh, you know, good luck. Uh, yeah, I know. All right. Right. So that's the thing is, is who's going to, 
trade. And Witz, you know, he's getting up there because he started, you know. And he's well, he's thirty-two years old now, but he yeah. signed. He signed for next year, a very uh, team-friendly deal, and they've got an option for twenty twenty-three. So you essentially could have him under control uh, for a couple more years if you trade yeah. for him so that might make him more valuable to another team you might be able to get a little bit more uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure but i just i saw that and i said oh i can't wait to ask eric about that. <laughs> yeah that's that's a really hard one that's a really hard one because he's been uh you know the, the most consistent player on the team for well ever since the world series because he wasn't a part of those world series teams so uh, Paul, are they talking about anybody out in Detroit? I mean, I know that uh, we just talked about how great they've played, but are they talking about that they're willing to move anybody out there? No. <laughs> they asked the GM um, just yesterday. It was in the news, well, newspaper, MLive.com, which is our uh, a place that Eric knows well. Um, I know quite well, yes. Yes, you do. They reported that, no, no, I'm not interested in any tra- trading at this point. But the thing I'm curious about is – the Otani thing has worked out pretty good for the Angels so far. So are we going to yeah. see a rash of more Japanese players coming over instead of trying to do trades or do it through the draft? And I did catch a part of the MLB draft, and I could see they souped it up trying to compete with other sports. But I don't know. Those guys are so random. I couldn't. It was just like a bunch of fresh face high school kids at prom yes, wearing a, a suit that didn't fit. Yeah, and unless you follow college baseball, it's really hard. It you know it doesn't get the uh, the attention that college football and college basketball does. So it's difficult. There's no question. Uh, but to answer your question, no, I don't think we're going to see more Japanese players. I mean, look, we had a rash of them come over the last couple of years, and most of them have flamed out. Uh, you remember uh, Yusei Kikuchi who came over to the Seattle Mariners. Now he's pitching well this year, but he had. His first two years in the United States, he was awful. I mean, he was terrible. Um, and the, the kid, uh, uh, Tatsugo, who uh, was signed by the Tampa Bay Rays, they couldn't ship him out of town fast enough. He's over. I think he's with the Dodgers now, like warming the bench. Um, you know, I think, it's a, I think J- Japanese players are a mixed bag. You, there are a few that are great players. I mean, we've seen a few like, in, you know, like Hideki Matsui and Hideo Nomo and, you know, obviously Otani. Yeah, Ichiro. But there are far more that come here that don't make a big impact than do. So I don't think we're going to see. I don't think that's the answer. No, I really don't. Now, I have a buddy that watched a ton of Korean baseball during the pandemic because there's nothing else on TV. So how about Korean players? Are they just that far behind Japanese players? Yeah, well, and again, we have a few of them here in the United States, but not that have made a huge difference. Remember, I remember there was a big splash made. um, A shortstop signed out of Korea, uh, Jung Ho Gong, who signed with the Pittsburgh Pirates and uh, was brutal. Couldn't, I couldn't get to the Mendoza line, uh, you know, so, you know, but there's a few here, but I still think that right now the power in baseball is in the United States and in Latin America. You know, I, I mean, I just, I don't, Japanese baseball is fine, but Japanese baseball, I, I think by and large, and I'm, you know, anybody listening to this, I apologize. This is, I'm not being anti-Japanese, but it's the equivalent of AAA baseball in the United States. By and large, with a few exceptions, like obviously Otani. Mm-hmm. What I'm more curious about, guys, is not whether we'll see more Japanese players. Will we see more teams willing to give guys an opportunity to play both ways? Because let's face it, there are guys playing college baseball right now that pitch, and then on days that they don't pitch, they play another position. 
there are guys in college baseball that I'm sure would love to try this. Do you think other teams would be willing to give guys like that a chance? Man, I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think, uh, I, I think this is sort of a flash in the pan. I think maybe if somebody, I mean, you have, you have to be like on, uh, you know, on that level of stardom. I just, man, it's, if I was a GM drafting somebody, I would not make the same promise that, uh, uh, that the, that the angels made, you know, uh, to allow them to, to play both sides. If, what I do think could happen is, you know, maybe you start to see some changes in the rules on the American League side, where um, where it's maybe a little more common for a, a pitcher to bat, right? So it takes up the the DH spot or or, or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, I think you might see that, but as far as switching positions and being a everyday player. And batting, and then batting and pitching. Man, I don't see it. Mm-hmm. Do you guys know who Scott Boris is? That's an obvious question. Yeah, I do. Yep. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course we do. The most well-known, notorious agent. Do you think many agents in America let their prize player play both ways, have a shorter career, or are they going to protect him to play one side and then he can have a longer career? I mean, it's. But it's, let's yeah, but let's keep but let's keep this in mind, Paul. The agent works for the player. Uh, player does yeah. not work for the agent. If the you know if the player really wants to do that, and Boros is telling him not to, he's going to find a new agent. You know, I mean, I we have to keep that in mind. You know that that these players that have Scott Boros as an agent do so because they know he's going to get them a lot of money. Right. But but they don't have to listen to him. You know, and we there have been cases where guys have. Uh, matter of fact, I, I it was one of the Red Sox players that went against uh, Boros's advice and signed for less money so that he could get a deal done. So you know, he, so at the end of the day, I don't think the agent really will have a lot to say about that, or shouldn't have anyway. Shouldn't have. So and now we have crickets. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I, I just think if you if an agent sat down with you and your parents and said, "Listen, I've done this for a long time. You could go, bo- you know, work, you know, hit and pitch. But boy, if you pitch only, you could have a 12 year career. But if you try to do both, you wear out your body. You have a six year career, and the de- difference in dollar amounts are this amount. Now, maybe you're right, Gene, that you know the players are smart enough to figure that out on their own. Um, but boy, I would love to see more players doing both pitching and hitting, or at least pitchers hitting more often if they're good. I'll tell you the, what, the one rule I would kind of like to see Major League Baseball adopt. In college baseball, your pitcher can also be your designated hitter. So that if, say, Shohei Otani starts on the mound, when he leaves the game, he can stay in the game as the DH. You can do that in college baseball. Yeah, see, I think that's... To me, that is the sort of thing that I was thinking about with, with Otani. That 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 could be kind of the moving forward, the, the impact of his yeah uh, playing both ways. Speaking of rule changes, I almost forgot. I didn't. I I did not bring this up before we started the show. So I'm just going to throw this one at you. Uh, when uh, the esteemed commissioner of Major League Baseball was <laughs> kind of giving his State of the Union uh, address while uh, during the All Star game. He said that it is unlikely that they are going to continue the seven-inning doubleheaders or the extra runners starting on base in extra innings. 
that next year those are probably going to go away under the collective bargaining agreement. I was shocked when I heard that. I was I was surprised. I think it's the right move, especially on the seven inning double headers. Yes. Um, but uh, uh, I have gotten used to the player on second. Even if I have as well. Weird. Yeah, um, I, I came around with that one. Yeah, but the I think it's pretty hard to justify not giving uh, your your fans a price break if you're only playing seven innings. So yeah, um, point. And they're not doing yeah, that. They are not. <laughs> They are not. So, yeah, I think that's uh, that became a little hard to stomach for some of the fans, and, and it sure would me. I mean, I wouldn't show up. Yeah, and so I texted Gene during the All-Star game because I noticed Cal Ripken was sitting uh, near Manfred, and Gene suggested that maybe uh, Cal should dump a beer on his lap or something like that. Um, <laughs> I would never say that. Never. That must have been somebody else who texted me that. So, But, Gene, Manfred, the best decision he's made this year and the worst decision he's made this year? Ooh. Wow. Uh, well, the worst decision he made was not to resign. <laughs> Maybe you did send me that text. <laughs> I just think he's bad. I'm sorry. I just, he, he acts like a guy that doesn't love the sport. Uh, I don't know if I can give you a, a best move that he's made. I really don't know. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, I, I guess, you know, if you if you want to get political, I guess you could say moving the game out of Atlanta. I still think that was BS, but, uh, you know, I mean, so I don't think that was a great, I think they penalized the wrong people when they moved the game out of Atlanta. So that's probably the worst movie made. And I don't know that he made a good one. I can't think of one, honestly. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I just, I can't think of anything positive that he's done. Yeah. He doesn't um, seem excited or a fan of the game at all. No, at all. And that's, that's the thing, you know, Bud Selig was a guy you could tell Bud as much as you, he could drive you nuts. Sometimes you could tell the guy loved the game. I mean, hell, he was an owner, you know, he loved the game. Uh, you know, uh, Bart Chiamatti, when he was, he loved the game. Faye Vincent loved the game, you know, and this guy, uh, I don't know what he is. I don't know whether he's just a, a bean counter or what, but he's a guy, he drives me nuts. So, but I was surprised they did that. But I'll tell you what, and you made a good point, Eric. I kind of came around with the extra runner on base. I've thought of a compromise. Mm-hmm. How about this? How about they keep the rule, but instead of doing it in the 10th inning, you do it in the 12th? Oh, yeah. I'm give all two, in on that deal. Give them, <laughs> give them two innings. Give them the 10th and the 11th to try to get it done the old-fashioned way. If you mm-hmm. can't get it done, then then we go with the nuclear option, which is to start a guy on second base. Yeah, because by I 12, everybody that. wants out. Yeah, yeah everybody exactly. wants, a, wants a, an out. So then on the 13th inning, you put two players on, and then the 14th, you put three? <laughs> well, no, 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 I don't think that's necessary. Because I think <laughs> we have found, has there, I don't know what the longest game this year has been. Has, I think it maybe has been like 13 innings. Oh, really? Wow. 13 or 14. I think, And I think it was the Red Sox. It was a crazy game. And everybody would score in the top, and then the other team would score in the bottom, and it just kept going. But we've seen a lot of times where that runner starts on second base, and a team is scoring like five runs in the 11th inning to win the game. <laughs> um, so I'd like to see it where they just wait a couple more innings. But it's going to be interesting. He says it's all going to be part of collective bargaining, but it doesn't sound like Manfred wants to continue it. Now we'll see whether Tony Clark is going to dig his heels in. Because some of the players have said they really like the uh, – uh, uh, the seven inning doubleheader thing. They like the fact that, and, and here's an interesting thing. I don't mean to talk so much, but here's an interesting thing I heard today. Uh, I was listening to the Padres or watching the Padres Braves game. 
And one of the things that was brought up by uh, Mudcat Grant, who was their color guy, said, you know, one of the, the reasons to have the 17 doubleheaders, you're more likely to see the best players playing in both ends of the doubleheader if they're only seven innings. But if you have two nine-inning games, there is a good chance that one of those games is going to feature a game that looks like a spring training game where you've got some wacky lineups. So they thought that the fans would be better served because they'd get the better players playing more innings if they're only seven innings. You buying that? No. No, I think they'll still do the – for one of those games, they'll still – at least for at least a good half catcher. of it. Certainly the catcher won't play both games, not yeah. not in this day and age. Um, but, the uh, yeah, I think you would, you'll still see some – some lineup shenanigans. I like seeing the bench players get a chance. I kind of do too. I like to see what they have and they usually excited and trying extra hard and, and they like seeing the other players sort of rooting them on and it's sort of good to see what you have. I I don't disagree. I mean, I, and and I think part of the problem with the seven inning double headers too, is there's been so many instances this year. I think we've already had three times this year where there's been a no hitter pitched in seven innings and it doesn't count. Right? Hmm. Wasn't it? Oh, was it? Yeah. Was it the Atlanta Braves? The Atlanta Braves or what? What team? I think it was the Braves. They used like five pitchers and had a no hitter. Right. <laughs> five pitchers. Yeah. It was a combined no hitter. Yeah. Combined. You know? Oh, combined no hitter. And, and combined non hitter. Yeah. No-hitter. And Madison Bum- Bumgarner threw a seven inning no hitter for the right. Diamondbacks, and I thought there was one more, but I think you know that's part of the problem. It's like, well, if it's going to be an official game according to your rules, how can it not be an official no hitter? Yeah. So. I think that might what might what be what brought that up. Um, so last thing we got, we have seen a ton of runs scored since the All Star break. I mean, the San Diego Padres put up 24 in one game uh, two nights ago. Four teams put up double digits. I mean, we are seeing runs scored in bunches. Is this just? cyclical is it because we have had a lot of pitcher injuries or is this a direct result of the lack of sticky stuff boy you know i would like to say that it's um it's the injuries and uh and and there have been a lot of a lot of uh pitching injuries but man it it sure turned on a dime <laughs> with the, does seem does seem like a coincidence, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, I got to think that it's. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it, it's inflated some by the the pitching woes of of many of the teams, but man, uh, yeah, I got to think there's a little bit of sticky stuff that's a uh, uh, or lack thereof. All right, uh, guys, you're going to have to go back and listen to some of our old podcasts. We were complaining that the hitting was so poor. And was this going to hurt the future of baseball? Come on, celebrate good times. I, no, I, let's no, wait, 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 wait. all right. Let's hit it. I, let's go. I, I didn't say it was a bad thing. I was oh, just no. asking. Paul, I was just asking the question. That's all I'm question. doing, buddy. Just ask it. Oh, you mean I've been drinking too <laughs> much of this iced though. coffee? Yeah, it's what the host does. We oh. ask questions. No. Your job is to answer the question. Answer oh. it. And I would like to point out before, before we move on to Paul that I was the one who uh, – uh, suggested that he enjoyed the pitching and didn't necessarily mind, although yeah, yeah. he did get a little out of control. <laughs> yeah, today, right before the podcast, I was tired, and so I said, I'll make an iced coffee. I put a little extra sugar, and then I decided to put a little dark chocolate syrup in there, and um, yeah, I'm feeling pretty buzzed right now for our old guy. <laughs> 
All right. That's so what, you still you haven't answered the question. What, what what is it? Is it injuries or is it the sticky stuff? It's or the is sticky it just stuff. stuff it's the sticky so? stuff and injuries both. I'm a, I'm not going to give you one answer. I'm just going to be abstinent and say both. So that's what coffee does to you. Yeah. Job. <laughs> hey, I could be drinking beer, and then you get, uh, yeah, whatever, Gene. It's good. All right. So we normally do our podcast every two weeks, uh, guys. I'm going to make a suggestion that we do one next Wednesday. Bum bum uh, bum. We're gonna. So we're gonna come back with another episode in a week because that will be about two days before the trade deadline. I was going to talk about it today, but it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense to do it right now. So let's uh, let's reconvene next week, and uh, we it will be our trade deadline special. So you all have some work to do between now and then, and let's start uh, uh, coming up with some ideas for some clubs and things that need to happen. Is that uh, is that agreeable with everybody? Yeah, sounds great. Sounds right, good. So, that will be our plan. That is going to do it for episode 69. We'll be back next Wednesday with number 70. For Eric Braun, Paul Arnold, I'm Gene Gums. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to The Boys of Summer. <laughs>